0: Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be bringing you up to speed with some of the latest Arsenal news. We're going to be talking Takahiro Tomiyasu and the concerns over the Japanese internationals' fitness. We're going to be touching on the comments Pablo Marie made With regards to Mikel Arteta and who he compared the Spaniard to, we'll be touching on Bruno Guimaraes supposedly saying that Newcastle are a bigger club than Arsenal. We'll be talking about Mohamed Elneny's performance at the AFCON and Arsenal's trolling of Tottenham Hotspur on the club's website, which was fantastic. We'll also bring you up to date on the future of Christopher Nkunku, a player with whom Arsenal have been linked with a move for. So lots and lots to get into. And of course, in the second part of the show, we'll be taking some of your questions from the live chat. So without further ado, let's get into it. And we're going to start off with Takahiro Tomiyasu. Now, Arsenal, of course, travel to Molineux on Thursday in what's going to be a really, really difficult game. And we'll be bringing you a full preview of that fixture tomorrow. That's on Wednesday. We'll be bringing you that preview and we'll be diving into Wolves in a little bit more detail. And I'll be sharing with you how tactically I think that Mikel Arteta could potentially get the better of Bruno Large's side, based on what we've seen of them this season. But Takahiro Tomiyasu is a big concern at the moment. Now, the Japanese international, as I say, is currently out with an injury. And the worrying thing and the concerning thing here is that in all the training pictures we saw from Dubai, in all the stuff we've seen since the players returned back to London Colony, Takahiro Tomiyasu doesn't appear to have been involved at any point. And that's a big concern. And that's a big worry. Having allowed Callum Chambers to leave the club during the January transfer window, the prospect of Cedric playing in the right-back position is a very real one. And I've said this before, I'm not sure that Cedric Suarez is a right-back. I think he's a right-wing-back. And I'm definitely sure that he's not a right-back fit for Mikel Arteta's team and Mikel Arteta's system. Now, why is that? Because I think the role of a right-back in Mikel Arteta's side is a very, very specific one. We're not asking him um, to be a traditional right-back. We're almost asking him to tuck in as a third centre-back at times and to step into a narrow position when moving forward into the midfield, which is very different to, for example, what Hector Bellerin used to do, which is go on the outside, make runs on the outside of the winger. And you know it's, it's very different to what Cedric Suarez thrives on. I think Cedric gets a lot of heat and a lot of criticism. And I think a lot of it is justified. But a lot of it comes for his defensive contribution, which is not quite good enough. It comes from him being caught out. I think the one thing you have to give to Cedric is that he, for me anyway, can be very effective in the final third. I think he's got a really good delivery on him. I think he makes the right decisions in the final third more often than not. And although we've only really seen that in games against lower or weaker opposition because of the fact that he is second string, I think that's very clear and very evident. But defensively, he leaves a lot to be desired. Ben White, for me, uh, looks a much better centre-back when he's got Takahiro Tomiyasu alongside him. If there was one criticism I had of Ben White at the start of the season, which is not so kind of prevalent now, it was him in aerial duels. I felt that he'd often get bullied in aerial um. Cummings together and i thought that takahiro tomiyasu did a really really good job of tucking in and tucking in sorry alongside him and getting close to him when long balls were coming forward in order to help him defend if not the initial ball then the second ball so i think that you know tomiyasu being out it's a blow not just for the right-back position, but it's a blow for whoever plays at centre-back as well. But as I say, no signs of Tomiyasu being involved in anything Arsenal have done recently, and that's got to be cause for concern. Now, what would I do to plug that hole? Because let's assume that he's not going to be available at Wolves. I I think it's very unlikely that Takahiro Tomiyasu will be available to start that game. Well, I've been thinking about this, but I'm going to think about it some more. And on tomorrow's preview of the Wolves game, I'm going to talk exactly... Uh, about how I would tackle that problem, because I think Mikel's got a decision to make. And I think in the past, Mikel can be accused of being so kind of desperate or concerned with an issue in one area that he's weakened a second area in his almost desperate attempts to fill that void, plug that gap and, and potentially mitigate that problem. So I think that it's really important that he doesn't do that. You know, and I know that people will say... Uh, well, that that means you want to play Cedric then. I'm going to dive into it a little bit more and in a little bit more detail in the preview uh, with some kind of tactical analysis around it. But my initial gut feel is, why break up a central defensive partnership that's going places, that's looking really good? And you're ultimately then weakening us in a couple of positions. Because A, Ben White isn't as good at right back as he is at centre back. And B, Rob Holding isn't as good at centre-back as Ben White can be alongside Gabriel. So I think for me, there is um, there is a lot to think about here. And do you weaken two positions in order to kind of try and fill that void? Or do you just do a like-for-like like swap and, and just add some extra protection, perhaps in another way, uh, courtesy of the midfield? I don't know, in order to protect Cedric Suarez. I think there's a lot to think about here, a lot to mull over. And as I say, we'll go into it in a bit more detail in our preview. But there is a poll in the chat, in the live chat on YouTube. So if you are watching us uh, live right now, head over there, give it a vote. Uh, Currently, there is a a bit of a split here. 43% of you would like to see Ben White put in at right back. But perhaps to my surprise, because I don't know, maybe I think that the overall view of Cedric is is worse than it is. Um, There's 57% of you asking for Cedric to start at right back which is really really interesting. So yeah, keep voting and uh, we'll revisit those results a little bit later on in the show. But as I say, no signs of Takahiro Tomiyasu in any of the training pictures, in any of the videos, and there's no indication that he will be back. We're hoping of course to hear from Mikel Arteta ahead of this game or to get one of those injury updates uh from the club and then we can hopefully understand a little bit more about what's going on here, but Letting Callum Chambers go, who was a decent option at right back, is um, was not ideal. But as I said to you on the members' mailbag episode, which we dropped a little bit earlier today, I think that Arsenal may not have planned to have allowed all of these players to go, but found an opportunity to get some money in the door, uh, albeit a, a very kind of insignificant amount by the club standards. But it was better than losing Callum Chambers, I guess, for nothing. And also the player, May have played a part in that as well, but not ideal. And uh, we'll have to wait and see. Fingers crossed. uh, If he doesn't recover for the game uh, on Thursday, he'll be back and available next week because we could really do with Takahiro Tomiyasu. Pablo Marie has been talking about Mikel Arteta, and he's been describing the type of manager that he is. He compared him to one of the Premier League's greats and one of the all-time greats, if we're being honest, in Pep Guardiola. Now, this surprised me a little bit because... Normally, when players uh, are kind of uh, pushed aside, when players find themselves in a position where they're not playing regularly, where they're clearly out of favour, and even when they get opportunities like Pablo Marie had at certain points, they play quite well and still don't get a place in the team. It can often lead to bitterness. It can often lead to the player kind of really wanting to put the blame at the manager's door. It can lead to people, you know, failing to accept maybe their limit own limitations and, and looking quite quickly to kind of try and save face and finding a way of discrediting the manager. So to hear Pablo Marie speak in such complimentary terms of Mikel Arteta, I thought was quite refreshing and, and quite good. Um, he said Mikel Arteta is one of the best managers I've come across. He helped me a lot to understand football better. And his idea is an idea similar To Pep Guardiola's, but with nuances. So very, very high praise um, from Pablo Marie toward Mikel Arteta, which I find interesting when you consider he's not really given him all that many opportunities. Um, But he did say, Pablo Marie, that when he's played, he's played to a good level. And I'm not going to say that he's been at a good level every time he's played, like he says. I think he's being a little bit uh, kind of kind to himself. I think he's maybe slightly over-exaggerating that, but I think he's been good at times. At points. I think for me, the big worry with, with Pablo Marie has always been a lack of speed across the ground. And I think, although being a centre back is not all about speed, I mean, Per Murtisaka made a career out of, you know, being very slow and, and sort of based on the fact he could read the game. And I think in years gone by, we've seen lots of uh, fantastic central defenders, uh, you know, get by and, and forge a career without being necessarily rapid. But I just think nowadays in the Premier League, if you're not quick, your reading of the game needs to be absolutely spot on. And I'm not sure you can say that uh, with Pablo Marie, but not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination and a decent backup, decent reserve, but not ready for me. But oh, no, not ready because he's not, not not ready because he's not a young man. But I just don't think he'll ever be at the level. I think we've got Gabriel, we've got Ben White. I think I'd say that uh, William Saliba, when he returns, will be at a better level. And that's another player that goes above Pablo Marie in the pecking order. And um, and to add to that, not even sure he's that much better, if better at all, than Rob Holding. So um, so that's uh, that's where it is. Uh, that's where we are with Pablo Marie. But fair play to him. You know, he's come out. He's he's been professional throughout, uh, and very high praise uh, from the former Manchester City defender to the former Manchester City uh, assistant manager. Lots and lots of praise indeed from Pablo Marie. Wanted to touch on the Bruno Guimaraes stuff because, of course, uh, lots has been made of his move to Newcastle United. It's a massive coup for Newcastle in terms of the status of the player. He's someone that a lot of top clubs were said to be interested in. Um, and, of course, there are articles doing the rounds claiming that Bruno Guimaraes said that Newcastle are a bigger club than uh, Arsenal or that he snubbed Arsenal. Y- you've seen all these different headlines come into the fore when actually he didn't say any of that. And that's the truth. You know, I didn't really like the announcement video uh, that Newcastle put out, that he put out where it was, you know, there was all these paper clippings supposedly of Arsenal interested, and then he joined Newcastle United. It felt a little bit cheap to me. It felt like a club trying to get clicks, trying to get, uh, you know, interactions off the back of using our name. Why? Because we're fucking massive. Uh, But yeah, I I didn't like that. I didn't think it was good. But what I will say is Bruno Gimaraes hasn't actually said uh, this time around, what he was accused of saying. He was asked whether Newcastle United have the potential to um, to be bigger than Arsenal, to to push forward and beyond Arsenal. And, I, you know, what's he going to say? He's a Newcastle United player. What is he going to say? Of course, he's going to say it. it's possible. Of course, it's, he's going to say that there's a good chance that Newcastle United could surpass Arsenal in the years to come. But what I would say is Newcastle United fans, not all of you, but some of you, Stay humble because I've, you know, I've had a few Newcastle fans, none that I know who have, have kind of hit me up on Twitter and been like, oh, you're just bitter, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, you're in a relegation scrap. Like you, you do realise that. You do realise that you're not guaranteed to be in the Premier League next season. And, and you, you, you're standing up and you're jumping up and down and you're talking about Bruno Guimaraes and you're talking about the other signings you've made. But at the end of the day, you're in a relegation scrap, okay, and and until you get to a point where you deserve respect from everybody else, you're not going to get it, okay. That that's the reality. So, to those Newcastle fans that took the opportunity to really kind of jump on this and have a go at Arsenal, stay humble because uh, I, I tell you, if you're playing in the Championship next season, you're going to get it back times ten. Anyway, uh, so that's uh, that's the latest. To be fair to Bruno Gimarais, I don't think he said anything wrong in this particular interview. And I think more was made of it than needed to be. In other news, uh, Mohamed Elneny has been named in the African Cup of Nations team of the tournament. The Egyptian obviously had his heart broken in the final when Egypt were beaten by Senegal on penalties. But nice to see Mohamed Elneny in the team of the tournament because... I think this guy gets a lot of unfair stick as well. Look, I don't want to see him in the Arsenal starting lineup, And and in truth, I think it's time he moves on. But he's a bit of a steady Eddie, Mohamed Elneny. He always has been. Uh, And obviously, at that level with Egypt, I think he's a really, really important player. And I I say at that level because I do think the AFCON level isn't as high as it could be. Um, I was asked this question on TalkSport 2 the other day, and I kind of thought about it. And I was thinking, you know, I've been asked this question. are, Are you trying to get me to say... That I don't think it's at the level. And I think it's fair to say it isn't. You know, I think we talk a lot about respecting that competition and I absolutely agree we should respect it more. But when I say that we should respect it more, we need to respect it in terms of the facilities need to be better, the organisation needs to be better, there needs to be better coverage around it. I mean, Sky throughout the tournament, advertising that they've got every single game, blah, blah, blah. You stick the game on, there's no pre-match show. There's no halftime show. There's no full-time show. There's zero analysis. And from what I understand, I don't even think they sent commentators out there. I think they were doing it remotely from studios here in the UK. So I think the tournament deserves more respect in that sense. But that doesn't change the level of the football. And that doesn't change the level of which some of those teams are at. And look, there are some wonderful individual players there, and there's some good teams but it's not quite at the level. Like, you can't compare it to the Euros. You can't compare it to the Copa America. I think there's still a, a big gap in quality there. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I'm talking from a purely footballing perspective. And um, and I think that's why you see people like Mohamed O'Neni, with all due respect to him, going to that competition and looking really, really good. But obviously, heartbreak for O'Neni. But he'll be back at Arsenal very, very soon and slots back into the squad. OK, just before I move on to Arsenal trolling Tottenham, uh, I wanted to bring you guys up to date on the latest regarding Christopher Nkunku, a player that Arsenal have been linked with in the past and a player that Arsenal was said to be setting their sights on ahead of the summer. According to RB Leipzig, the Frenchman is going nowhere and he's staying with the Bundesliga club. And you've seen all these articles during the rounds. Arsenal dealt huge blow. Not really sure that that interest was quite as concrete as some have made it out to be. But Christopher Nkunku appears to be staying at RB Leipzig. And I know that's been a popular story online, which is why I wanted to bring you up to speed with it. Okay, so Arsenal have been having a bit of fun uh, on the website, and it's incurred the wrath of Tottenham fans. I know a Tottenham fan who has gone to the lengths, uh, and I won't mention any names, has gone to the lengths of tracking down Arsenal's IT developer Yes, you got that. Arsenal's IT developer in an attempt to uh, find his de- uh, to get his details and his name out into the public domain so that a load of Tottenham fans can pile onto him. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? But just to share with you exactly what's happened. So Charles Watts tweeted a screenshot. If you went onto the Arsenal website a little bit earlier on, and I think they've changed it now, but if you went onto the website earlier on and you clicked on your basket, your shopping basket on the online store, The notification, if there's nothing in it, pops up and says, your basket is as empty as Tottenham's trophy cabinet. I think that is fantastic banter. Absolutely love it. Uh, Charles Watts then went on to tweet a statement from the club, which said this was posted to the site in error without appropriate checks and approvals and is being removed as quickly as possible. So Arsenal uh, quickly backtracking from that. But yeah, weird one. I actually quite like it. But anyway, Okay, uh, let's um, let's go over to the chat. Let's get some of your thoughts. Let's get some of your comments. I would love to hear from you. Get your questions in. Uh, make sure you hit the like button in the meantime. And if you're listening to us via the audio platforms, we're going to take a short pause for a message from our sponsors. Okay, let's see what you guys are saying. Um, just going back to that Bruno Rice thing. Anthony says... Everyone is using the Arsenal name. Liverpool using Saka, Bruno using Arsenal. Yes, we are massive. Agree. Um, agree. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, some of you took a little bit of issue with my Mohamed Nenny comments. Um, Patrick says he shoots better than Thomas Partey. Uh, Thomas Partey. Can't shoot full stop. I, I don't disagree with you there. Uh, the old school fool says that uh, Elneny does the job asked by the gaffer eight out of ten times. Just a good squad player. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Jid says, we do need guys like Elneny who are squad players and are happy to be part of the team without having so much ambition to start that they cause a stir when they don't play. Valid point. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Ekenne says, Harry, sorry, there are more rubbish players in the Euros than El Neni. Yeah, there are rubbish players in the Euros, but there are rubbish players in the AFCON as well. Uh, you know, it's it's not that I'm saying El Neni is the worst player I've ever seen. That wasn't my point. My point was simply that I think overall, the standard of, of the AFCON is lower than the Euros. And that's not me being biased. You know, that's not me having an agenda. It's, I think the best teams in Europe would beat the best teams in Africa. Just right now, that can change. That can shift. You know, if you get a golden generation, for example, I mean, I look at that Egypt team and outside of Mo Salah, it's very average. You know, it's very average in my personal opinion, yet they've gone to the African Nations final. I think when you look in the Senegal team, you've got Sadio Mane and Khalidu Koulibaly, Edouard Mendy, obviously top, top players. Idrissa Ghana gazing there as well. Uh, another player who's playing at a high level. Around that, though, is it elite? Does it have the same level as the French team or the Spanish team? Like all across this, this is the point I'm trying to make. I just think that overall, um, the the level of the tournament is not quite at the level of the Euros, and you know, there's there's nothing there's nothing behind that. I'm not meaning to to offend by saying that. It's just my opinion on on purely the level of the football. What else have we got? Um, Patrick Carlson says there can't be worse refs than in the PL. Well, there were refs in the AFCON, unfortunately, who couldn't tell the time and uh, blew the whistle early. So, yeah, there's there's pretty bad refs everywhere. It's fair to say. Anthony says, I think Liverpool are seeing the exits from Arsenal lately and think they got a chance for Saka. They're deluded. Even Spurs stayed firm on Kane. Yeah, you'd hope that Arsenal would stay firm on somebody Um Like, uh, like Bukayo Saka. Leo Kujo says, agree with you about AFCON. The refereeing is also poor from an African. Yeah, look, that's, that's a fair opinion to have. It's, there's honestly no, uh, there's no agenda behind this other than that's the opinion. um, In the, um, that's my opinion on the, on the standard of football. Uh, Tola says, uh, fake news, Harry, Nigeria takes England any day. I don't even rate England. So I'm not even going to strongly disagree with you on that. But I don't think Nigeria beat England. Come on. Like, that's just my opinion. Um, And I know I'm I'm stirring up the pot with this one. Uh, What else have we got? Um, uh, Jid says that's because the Euros weed out the likes of San Marino in qualification. Well, there's obviously more nations, isn't there? So you're having to or you're going for a more stringent qualification process, which eliminates. Hello, listen. I'm from Cyprus. They're shit. You know. Th- let's be honest. I'm not. This is not coming from someone who's a who's a snob in that sense. And when Cyprus play, I, I look forward to seeing them. I look forward to enjoying it. I look forward to watching it. I look forward to uh, getting behind my team. And I wish that they went to a World Cup, even if they stand zero chance of progressing from the group stage and get spanked every game. Just to be there would be something. So I get why people feel attached and emotional about this. And don't want to accept or acknowledge, but it's the truth is the standard is not quite there. Um, what else have we got? Uh, uh get some questions in. Come on, lots of you, uh, having a go at me about my AFCON views, but let's get your questions in, uh, into the chat and we'll pick up a few of those uh, before we wrap up. Uh, Eri Hart says Senegal are a quality team with world class players, yeah, they've got some world class players and there's a lot of world class players at the tournament, but unless you have teams stacked with a high class of player, then and multiple teams, then the the standard of the competition can't possibly be very, very high. Uh, What else we've got? Uh, Mikhail Vigolevsky uh, says, Andre Silva would be a good transfer target for us next summer. He's a good all-round striker and his price should be reasonable. Forgive me if I'm wrong, Mikhail, but I think you've mentioned this in the chat before. I think you mentioned this during the transfer window, did you not? Um, about Andre Silva and why he'd be a good signer. Let's have a quick uh, browse at what Andre Silva uh, season is looking like uh, thus far, because I've got to be honest, um, he's not a player that I massively keep across. So let me just uh, share the screen. Hold on a second for our YouTube viewers. Here we go. Andre Silva. So Andre Silva, uh, 26 years old. Portuguese uh, striker, heat map suggests that he gets around the pitch, that he um, that he occupies all sorts of areas. He's got not an amazing average uh, performance rating in the Bundesliga this season. It stands currently at 6.82. I suppose it's just below seven, which is pretty good uh, when you look at it that way. Uh, according to SofaScore, and this is according to SofaScore, not, not according to Harry Simu, uh, his strengths are hold-up play. Uh, Penalty taking and finishing, which, again, I guess when you're talking about hold-up play, could be something that Arsenal could really benefit from. Weaknesses, however, are ground rules and ball control. Interesting. Let's have a look at some of his stats from this season. So in the Bundesliga, he's played 21 times, started 16 of those games. Averages, though, only 66 minutes per game. Hmm. I, 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 and again, you know, sometimes these stats can be misleading. Is that because he burns out? Is it because they change things tactically? I'm not not really sure. Uh, goals uh, per game, he averages 0. 0.4. He's got nine goals, as I said, in 21 uh, Bundesliga matches. Uh, in terms of assist, he's got two. Um, he's created five big chances. Looks decent. I mean, his market value, according to this website, is about €35 million. Euros, so you're right, for a centre-forward, that's not crazy at all. Um, but yeah, a player that, again, if we get to the point where we're being more heavily linked with, I'll do a bit of a deep dive into, but I, I don't watch a lot of him. So it's really difficult for me to um, to have too much of a, a, a strong opinion either way. Uh, Jid says, uh, which legend do you think, honestly, really wasn't as great? as most fans would like to believe or remember? Hmm. That's a really good question. A legend that I don't think was that great and not as great as people like to remember. I kind of want to put Ray Parler in there because, listen, I think Ray Parler was a great servant and he done a lot of good work for Arsenal and he was very much uh, a workhorse in that midfield under Arsene Wenger. But, I don't think technically he was particularly gifted. I don't think he was, um, I don't think he had the the football brain that a Robert Pires had or a Freddie Lundberg had. He wasn't as good a goal scorer as any of those two guys. And obviously, as he slowed down a bit, he went from playing on the right-hand side into sometimes playing in a more central position. I think with Ray Parlour, and, and the reason I picked Ray Parlour is because sometimes what happens is with these players... They're great personalities. They're good. They're a good crack. They're good, a good laugh. They tell great stories, and that can almost elevate how you regard them. When actually, as a footballer and as a player, he was good. Don't get me wrong, but the term legend is a little bit um, is a little bit strong. Obviously, one great things with Arsenal Football Club, and so he'll always be held in high regard. But yeah, I think he's probably one that falls into that category. Let's see what else we've got. Um, uh, Julian Gala says, uh, which Wolves player do you think represents the biggest threat on Thursday? Interesting. Um, we're going to do, as I say, we're going to do a Wolves, um, uh, a Wolves preview tomorrow where we're going to look into Wolves in a little bit more detail. Um, and so I'm going to do a, a lot more research before I actually come to some conclusions ahead of that. But, I mean, players that I look at and I'm worried about, obviously, you've got that midfield of Moutinho, Neves. Uh, you know, I think Pedence, if he plays, is a is a real threat. I think Raul Jimenez is an obvious threat. I think Trincao has been a good signing as well. Um, they've obviously got uh, Huang, who's come in and, and has impacted games this season. So I think there's lots of threats. I think they're a really, really good side. I think tactically, they're a really interesting side as well, which is why I want to do that deep dive on Wolves tomorrow for you guys, uh, in which we'll talk about the tactical aspects of the game and, uh, and come to some conclusions as to how Mikel Arteta should probably approach this one. Let's take this one from Paul Nell. Uh, when Saliba comes back to the club, do you see him coming straight back into the team? Does he play in a back three or back four in France? I think it's a back four at Marseille, but um, I'm not a big watcher of French football. Let me just have a, a quick look. Let's have a, a little butchers. Let's see uh, what who scored are saying in terms of Marseille. Um, so according to them, when I get beyond all the, the bloody adverts on the website. It looks like it's a back three. And I think that it's, you know, he's been good at, at Marseille. There's no doubt about that. People have been ranting and raving about him for a while and talking about, um, you know, how uh, how good he's been and how much he's improved and how much he's come on. But I do think it's so much easier for a centre-back to look comfortable in a back three. And, and Arsenal clearly don't want to play with a back three. Arsenal clearly want to play with a back four and a back four that pushes high up the pitch and spreads wide in certain um, certain phases of play uh, opens up quite a bit in order to try and progress the ball forward. It's a back four that you're asking to take numerous risks in the way they're going to progress the ball, but also in some of their positioning that they take up. So it's not a given that he's going to come in and just slot in and be brilliant. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Uh, do I see him come straight back in the team? I see him coming straight into the squad. And being a real part of that and being the third choice centre-back, I I really do. But beyond that, I don't think you can have any guarantees. I think if he comes in and he plays well, there's no reason why he won't get given opportunities. But it's difficult to say, yeah, he comes in and walks into that starting eleven. I think people are getting a bit carried away with what he's done in France at the moment. Uh, Steve Stone, Harry, out of 10, beg your pardon, how confident are you with us picking up three points against Wolves? uh five i think it's that close i think it's a really difficult game i think the 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 most probable outcome is probably a draw here and although I, I can imagine that there'll be a lot of people who will lose their minds if we draw this game just because of the result against burnley i i actually think a draw represents a pretty decent result but it, it, again it depends on how the game goes right steve if if arsenal are winning 2-0 uh, and then you end up drawing the game, then you're disappointed. You're frustrated. But I, um, I, I'm i trying to be realistic about where this Arsenal team are at. And, and I don't think it's a given that we go to Molyneux and win. I don't think it's even, as I say, the most probable outcome. So it's hard for me to say anything more than a five, um, if I'm being completely honest. I, look, I think going back to that point I made about people may be losing their minds or feeling a little bit or, or the reaction that's likely to come if arsenal fail to take all three points i think the burnley game plays a massive part in this because if you beat burnley and you beat wolves uh, and you get a draw at wolves then it, it it doesn't feel so bad but the reality is that we drew against burnley if we then beat wolves the points outcome will be the same and quite often we get caught up in oh we should have beaten this team or we should have beaten that team if the points total at the end of those two fixtures is the same, what difference does it bloody make? Other than obviously beating a better side can give you a confidence boost and a bit of a lift. So yeah, I, I kind of think we we should be looking to pick up all three points because of that draw at Burnley. But let's put that to one side because that's an isolating incident and it's a completely different game. A, a draw away at Wolves would be a pretty respectable result. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Old School Falls says that we should go all out this summer and sign Federico Chiesa. He was on fire for Italy. Such a joy to watch. Yeah, bad injury at the moment, though, Uh, Chiesa. One of my favourite players in world football at the moment. I think he's sensational. But, yeah, big injury at the moment, which is a problem. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Tola says uh, Overmars' extracurricular activities uh, have brought his legend rating down a bit. Yeah, weird situation, that. and and i'm always a bit reluctant to comment on stuff like that like i know everybody's been talking about kurt zuma today and um obviously you know there's no excuse for what he did um you know kicking the cat And, and and there's obviously that video footage going around i i don't really know what to say about incidents like that you know it's it's wrong what mark overmars did is wrong um and, and people will say their bit on it. And then, you know, it's down to the powers that be to to punish Up, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I, I don't really want to spend an Arsenal podcast kicking somebody else or, or having a go at somebody else who, you know, we can all agree his actions were wrong. But I, I just don't really know what to say about it other than it's wrong. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that simple. It's that black and white. Uh, Hardik says, uh, hello, Harry, are you doing any upcoming commentaries on any matches, please? I am. Um, I've got a double header tomorrow. I've got a really, really busy day tomorrow. So you can join me at 4.30 p.m. UK time on the Flash Score app for Al-Hilal versus Chelsea in the Club World Cup. That's 4.30 p.m. UK time. Be bringing you live commentary of that one. And then you can join me a little bit later on in the evening for some Premier League action. So as I say, very, very busy day. I'll be bringing you live commentary from 8pm of Aston Villa versus Leeds United in the Premier League. So two really interesting games for me uh, tomorrow. And I'm on back-to-back commentary starting at 4.30. I'll be taking you all the way through the night uh, up until the end of Aston Villa uh, versus uh, versus Leeds. So yeah, get involved. Flashscore app uh, and uh, you can check that out if you haven't done so already. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Chris Carrick says, uh, my 16-year-old son and I are dying to come to the UK and top of the agenda is to see an Arsenal match next year. Where should we sit to get the best view and atmosphere? I tell you what, Chris, (laughs) Arsenal is the only reason you should want to come to the UK right now. Um, But yeah, look, in terms of where you should sit, if you want the best view, then you should sit in the upper tier. Um, you know, the tickets are a little bit expensive and and you'd hope that you're not right at the back of the upper tier if possible, but the view up there is, is fantastic. It's it's brilliant. I've got a friend with a season ticket up there and from time to time when there's a spare seat next to him and I want to get a bit of a different view on the game and get that almost more tactical cam view, I go and sit up there, but the atmosphere isn't half as good. That's, that's the problem with the upper tier for me but there are parts of the lower tier where the atmosphere can be quite dead as well i think atmosphere wise if that's what you're looking for you need to hit the north bank side of the lower tier that can be anywhere across uh, behind the goal or in the corners there that's where the best atmosphere is at emirates stadium uh, for me in my personal opinion but if you're after view then i would go for the upper tier okay uh what else do we have um Kenney's not letting me, letting me get past the AFCON stuff. <laughs> He's obviously not happy. Uh, he says, Harry, do you think England can beat any African team in AFCON 8-0 like they do to San Marino? Europe's quality is rubbish also. The continent is made quality by African and South American players. Mate, I, I, I don't understand why you're taking this so personally. Like, it genuinely isn't like anything other than my opinion on, on the standard of the AFCON. I do think that England could beat somebody like I don't know, Malawi by a big scoreline. No offence to Malawi. It's just the first unkind of fancied um, AFCON side that came to my mind. Uh, Maybe not 8-0, but I think they'd beat them quite comfortably. Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Here's a good one from Harvey. He says, Harry, earlier, Arteta said he would try and get Wenger involved more in the club. Any more news about that? Hmm. Not that I know of. Not that I've heard. Uh, you know, I I'm kind of getting the vibe, or or I got the vibe, especially when you know when the Wenger documentary came out. Okay, I, I did a lot of work around it. I was really lucky uh, to be given some cool opportunities at that point. I went. I and spoke to Gabriel Clark, the director of the film, and you can find that interview on the channel. Just type in "Chronicles of Aguna Harry Simu Gabriel Clark." You'll find that. So I got a real insight into how the film was made, and I was very lucky to be at the premiere of the film uh, in which we got to speak and hear from Arsene um, at the end. And I never got the impression that he was interested in returning. I, I always got the vibe off of Arteta, off of Edu, that they were trying to kind of extend an olive branch and almost trying to bring him back within the Arsenal family. But it's gone quiet. And that indicates to me that it's Arsene Wenger that doesn't really want it. Um, and I get it, you know, it really came across from Arsene, I thought, in that documentary and in the Q&A session that he held, um, that he held straight after the premiere of the film, also the the night with David Dean that was a couple of weeks prior to that, it really did feel to me like there's a little bit of bitterness from Arsene Wenger. There's a little bit of resentment towards the way he was treated, and I guess uh, for me, it's it's understandable uh, you know I, I can i can get it i i understand why it might feel like that and i just think that just too much has happened i, I just don't see it mate I, I really don't um and i said at that point as well that i didn't think it was something that would ever happen in an official capacity but it's something that it would um that may happen in an unofficial capacity if that makes sense uh let's see once <laughs> we've got anthony Harry, I'm not saying it will happen, but if Arsenal sell Saka or Martinelli, do not in capitals come here and defend the club. I'm seeing you are being too lenient towards the situation. How can I be too lenient to something that hasn't happened? I haven't got any position on it because it's not happened. Um, you know, obviously I don't want those guys to be sold. Of course I don't. Um, you know, but you know, I'm not going to defend the club if that happens. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, let's um Let's uh, get you guys to hit that like button if you haven't done so already. There's over 250 of you with us live right now uh, across the um, across the multiple platforms. So please do uh, hit that like button and let's get up to 100 likes as quickly as possible. Keep voting on the poll in the chat as well. And if you're not subscribed to the channel already, please do so as we continue to approach um, 19,000. Uh, Tola says, uh, Harry, I love the demographic makeup of the team currently, but don't you think we need to sign more mature players? To help with the mentality of the young squad team can't be mostly youngsters yeah i agree with that and i think that's the next um the next stage isn't it the next um the next thing the next part of this rebuild if you like what else have we got uh, into your man warning chris not to come uh, to the banter club as he says save your money <laughs> Uh always trying to do uh good for us in the chat inter uh well done um What else have we got? Uh, Artur says, um, Harry, have you seen the tweets insinuating that Arteta is a racist? I honestly tried not laughing, but FFS. I think with, um, with this kind of stuff, right? And listen, I've got a massive issue right now with the way a lot of people go about plastering things on social media recently and the way people react to certain incidents. Let me... You know, let me give you an example, right? You, you guys know that obviously um, a little while ago I, you know, there were some tweets that that I posted many, many years ago that were, you know, that where I used terms that I wouldn't use now, basically. Um, terms that I know now to be unacceptable, terms that I was only using in a football context, but that doesn't make them right, okay? And I recognize that and I held my hands up to that. One of the things I really struggled with off the back of that was being labeled, uh, was with being labeled by having people that don't know anything about me, that have never listened to a podcast, that have never spoken to me, that have no gauge, na- no gauge or no understanding of who I am or what I am labeling me. That was the hardest part of that, to deal with that. And um, and and I deserved it because obviously I'd used those terms that I shouldn't have used. and And I'll take that on the chin ever since that happened to me i've i've kind of opened my eyes a little bit more to the way people pile on and react to stuff on social media i look at it in a way that i would never have looked at it before because there's a there's a saying that we use in greek yeah and and i you know to translate it into english it's basically for it to happen to you that's when you learn or, or no to learn is to have it happen to you something like that it it, it doesn't exactly translate but it's basically like the lesson is for it to happen to you. And ever since that happened to me, uh, I say happened like obviously it's my fault, but ever since the that reaction that I got and, and all of the kind of shit that came in the days that, that followed that, I'm really conscious of adding my two pence to things that don't concern me or, or have nothing to do with me or don't actually bother me do you see what I mean I think I think what happens is that you you find yourself in this modern world where it's almost like a competition of who can be more outraged who can be the most pissed off about something that um you know who can be the most angry and the most pissed off about something and it's like a competition you know it's it, it, it drives me mad. I think like there, there are certain things, like for example the Kurt Zuma stuff, which we we touched on earlier on. People have a right to feel outraged about that, and and they have their say. That's what social media is all about, and they put it out there. And then there's other things where I just think like now you're nitpicking, and I think that everybody is, as I say, online looking for reasons to discredit people, and to label Mikel Arteta as a racist based on zero evidence whatsoever that's the kind of shit i don't like call out something that's wrong that's fine but fabricate stuff because it suits your overall opinion and your overall agenda and your overall view on someone that i can't take and and i really hate stuff like this i really hate uh somebody coming out and saying that you know tweeting that and i'm not saying that you did mate but I know there are tweets that are going around saying that Mikel Arteta is a racist and he's based on absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. And I think, you know, that is as, as damaging, you know, just putting that kind of view or putting that narrative out there based on nothing can lead to people then looking deeper for stuff and then taking offense potentially to something that was never intended to be offensive. It just, yeah, for me, I think it's, um, It's a really dangerous precedent. I don't think you can go. um, I don't think you can go online and say that somebody's racist. Something as severe and serious as that, on the basis of nothing, and think that that's okay. And think that you know people are going to jump on that bandwagon. If you do jump on that bandwagon, uh, you know what are you doing? You know, if you if you feel strongly about certain certain things, certain incident, do your research, understand exactly what happened, the context around it. what exactly happened, what exactly occurred, as opposed to what you just saw someone else say on Twitter, and then make up your own mind is the only thing I'd say. So, um, yeah, but you, you're right to bring that up. You know, it's, it's a laughable uh, thing to say about Mikel Arteta, but it's one that can have really negative connotations. And I, I don't think that's fair on anybody when, um, when it's based on nothing at the end of the day. Okay, let's take a couple more. Uh, Let's take a couple more of your thoughts, of your questions. Uh, Eli says, uh, will you be at Wolverhampton on Thursday? I won't. Um, I won't, mate. Um, I I wanted to. I wanted to get up there. Unfortunately, work commitments, though, uh, mean that it's impossible for me to get there in time uh, for the game. And then, obviously, the the journey back is a bit of a bummer. Uh, And it will be late at night. and And i got a really, really early start on the Friday. So, unfortunately... I can't be there, but obviously I'll be right across the game as always. Uh, like with every Arsenal game. And uh yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, uh, what else have we got? Uh lots of you in agreement with the whole uh the, the thing about Twitter. You know, don't don't go out there and accuse people of being something based on nothing. Um what else have uh, we got? Ronnie MX. Um this is a really good point as well. He says when you make stupid fake accusations like that or accusations based on nothing, what it does is it actually desensitizes people to the actual incidents of racism that are out there and that actually do deserve attention. And he compares it to uh, the boy who cried wolf analogy, which I think is, is perfect. Really agree with that. Okay. Uh, Let's check in where we are in terms of likes. Come on guys. Let's get up to a hundred likes. We're on 57 at the moment, but there's over 250 of you with me live. Um, Whoops. Uh, with me live across the multiple platforms, we've got 182 votes on the poll. Let's quickly revisit that while the rest of you hit that like button. Uh, let's have a look. 57 likes. As I say, let's get that up to hundred in terms of uh, the poll. 51% of you want to see Cedric play and 49% of you want Ben White to play at right back. Wow. That is super, super close. Um, which is incredible. Wow. Brilliant. Uh, nice, nice split one. Nice one for us to get into on tomorrow's preview of the Wolverhampton Wanderers game. Okay. We're going to leave it there. Uh, Enjoy the football this evening and, um, we'll be sitting back watching on, uh, Arsenal, of course, in action on Thursday, but sit back, enjoy it, put your feet up, have a nice rest, and we'll be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal content. Please do hit that like button on your way out. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And if you'd like to be uh, a member of the channel, check out the uh, members mailbag episode we did earlier on and you can get your questions featured hold on a second though before i go steven says where's my question where is it let me scroll back i can't find it um and, and listen this always happens i miss questions right just because there's so many um in the chat box coming through sometimes i don't see things can how quickly can you drop it back in the chat hmm i'm waiting i'm waiting you got a few seconds, Stephen. If you can drop it uh, in the chat quickly, then we'll get around to it. But I really do uh, need to get going. Uh, scroll up, he says. Well, I'll be scrolling up all day, mate, and I don't know where it is. So uh, we'll leave it for the next time. I-, I promise I'll keep an eye out for your name uh, on the next stream. Thank you all so, so much. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal and football-related content. Until next time, goodbye.